I am a self-proclaimed geek, uh, and that's a term of endearment for most people. Uh, but I listened. I was listening to a book on the way in, and this is what it said. And I thought, oh, that makes sense for this morning. The employee is called into the manager's office to be told what wonderful contributions he's made to the company in the past. He's told what great qualities he has, what a fine person he is. Then he's told that his department is being restructured and that he is redundant. All of which is interpreted as saying you are no longer needed or wanted. The Bible was good at one time, but it is outmoded and can't keep up with the times. Or so goes the judgment of the modern age. We uh, have taken our time going through the New Testament this past five, six years. And today I'm going to cover actually two letters. I'm going to cover Second John and Third John. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to be done at 3 o'clock, but uh, they're pretty short letters. And uh, John, who is an apostle of Jesus, actually hung out with Jesus... Many believed that he was considered to be the one that Jesus called his beloved. The one that he was probably closest to. Uh, has written the actual gospel of John, the story of John, and it's all about the love of Jesus. Typically when you hand somebody a Bible, they'll say, start with the book of John. Which is like really one of the most difficult books to start with. Uh, honestly, the Gospels are difficult, especially if you have no context of it. But then uh, he, he was like Paul. He traveled around telling great stories of, of Jesus. He was uh, in Galatia and established churches up there. And currently he's in Ephesus when he's writing these three letters. He wrote First John, which we finished last week. And he's writing Second and Third John. And we're not really sure... Where these letters went, we believe that it's probably hanging around in the Roman province area somewhere, which is where he pastored, shepherded, taught the truth. Uh, but I think this is is very, very contextual with what you just did, Doug. Uh, just calling people out. At the time, for those of you that are guests with us today, there was this Gnosticism that was being taught that Jesus wasn't uh, really here because evil uh, matter is evil. And if Jesus was really a human incarnate, he came here in human form, then he would be evil, and that's impossible. So somehow Jesus came spiritually, but he didn't come physically. And that was a form of Gnosticism that was being taught, and it was filtering through the church and John's like come on guys stick with the truth stick with what you know and that literally like literally they're teaching that Jesus was not the son of God and so John writes these two letters he says in 2nd John verse 1 the elder he we we believe that John is the author of this letter and he's, again, written all these letters from Ephesus. And he says, To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, 
and not only I, but also who know the truth. So, he, who's the elect lady? There's, there's like a couple of different references here. It could be referring to someone specific, but then when you get down to the end of the chapter, you pretty much have to believe that he is talking about the church as the lady. The, the lady and the sisters being the sister church and the children, which would be us. Again, this letter was written in 65 AD, so it wasn't written to you. This letter was not written to you. But you can take this letter and go, oh, well, it is written to the church. It is written to us today. But gosh, that was 2,000 years ago. It's not relevant today. It's not that. I mean, that's 2,000 years old, and that's what was happening back then. Oh, let me tell you, it's very relevant to today. John is likely, literally referring to this entire congregation, these people that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's literally writing to a specific local church. So let that local church be us today. And all who have, he's saying right here, all who have this Jesus, this belief in Jesus, they have this inborn love for all who love the truth and God's grace. In today's world, when he sit here and says, but also all who know the truth, we have put adjectives in front of truth, right? We have relative truth, we have absolute truth, and you can go on and on and on about the adjectives that go in. Truth does not need an adjective. Truth is truth. But in today's world, where Oprah can stand at an awards ceremony and say, your truth is the truth, then everybody's, what they believe, becomes truth. That's the water that we're swimming in. It's the water that we're drowning in because there's no, honestly, no truth. John's literally saying, but you know the truth. Verse 2, it says, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. This is contrary to the message that John was actually speaking in 1 John 1, 9, when he's like, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's literally talking about the Gnostics who didn't believe and wouldn't say that they had sin. He's like, if you just confess your sin... Confess that you're sinners. But he's saying these people understand truth. They have believed the gospel and have been perfectly forgiven and cleansed from sin. This is who he's writing to now. You know the truth. We say it in here all the time. You're holy, righteous, and redeemed. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. We say it in here every Sunday. You know the truth. They believe the gospel and they're going to be forever, forever one in grace and mercy and peace that's offered by God. That's us in this room right here. He says in verse 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Grace is not a, a buzzword 
for popular teaching today. Grace is literally the entire framework of God. God is grace. Grace is God. Because of God's grace, there's actually mercy from God, which we have received. Literally, we've received mercy. Think about it. All the stuff you've done, you're doing, and you're going to do, it's already dealt with. That's mercy, my friends. God decides not to condemn us even though we deserved it at one point. And there's no longer this battle or enmity that goes between believers and God. It's a done deal. It's settled. He's not, he's not ticked off at you. <laughs> he loves you. Verse 4, it says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth and keeping with the command we have received from the Father. Some of the members of the church that he's writing to, the church they were having trouble maturing in God's grace. It's one thing to receive salvation. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and he died for my sins. You believe that, you have salvation. But that's almost like getting a Christmas gift and never unwrapping it. Like, I got the gift, I got the gift, but unwrap the thing, enjoy the thing, read the instructions once in a while, figure it out, put it together, play with it, build with it, do something with it. It's literally what he's saying right here. Is like, you, you, you're, some of your children are walking in truth. Keep, keep, keep on going, in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. It's God, it's God just pleading with us to experience his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Just, it, it's here. It's present. It's like, just grab hold of it and walk in it. Just waller in it. Enjoy it. He says, verse 5, So now I ask you, dear lady, as if I were writing you a new command, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. That's it. I mean, Doug, thanks for the introduction. Uh, just loving one another plays out in actions. Plays out in just caring for people. This is love that we walk according to his commands. He's not referring to the old covenant. He's not referring to the Ten Commandments or the 613 laws in Leviticus. He's not referring to that. He's literally referring to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love each other as you love yourself. Just love. That's it. That's the new command. We receive God's love for us in Christ, and then all of a sudden we begin to transmit it to other people. He says, this is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. As with 1 John and with the Gospel of John, the apostle is literally combating this Gnostic heresy that keeps interceding in the church and it's manifesting itself among the church believers. Like they're starting to believe it and walk away and teach demented things. And he's literally saying, you have to know the truth. If Jesus were merely an illusion, then God's love was not truly manifested. If he really wasn't here, then this couldn't be happening. 
Like he literally had to die, be buried, rise again, and send this spirit to live inside of your body. And because the spirit lives inside of your body, has taken up residence inside of your mortal being, it allows you to love the person you're sitting next to. Even in their darkest day. I promise you, (laughs) it's hard to love everybody. But if it's based upon my strength, it's going to remain hard. If I trust a spirit inside of me, I'm capable of loving the most unlovable. Because he is doing it in me and through me. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. <laughs> and again, when we talk he when John talks about antichrist, he's not talking about the antichrist, he's talking about those who are opposed to Christ. It's not a singular figure here that according to John and all that he's written in these letters, it's a group of people that are really rejecting Christ's humanity here. He says, watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have work for, but that you may receive a full reward. He's talking about the benefit of knowing God's love in life. Like if you begin listening to the distractors, the deceivers, it becomes harder for you to love. And then you just lose the whole benefit of what God has provided for us. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. There's a difference about being confused about God's love and being so far from understanding that that no one is truly saved. There's a difference there. However, right here, John, he's not leaving room for people to be so far from the gospel that they can't be saved either. In the context, he's really referring to the Gnostics again. He didn't want anybody to be on the fence here. He says, the one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. True Christians, they will have an abiding faith in the Father. It's just natural. It's what we do to abide. Jesus died, he rose again, because he wanted us to forever know that He loves us and he likes us. He said, if anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Now he's drawing a line. Don't let the deceivers in your front door. Those that are going to distract you from knowing the truth. I'll protect that front door. I'll protect that front door. Because I want you to know the truth. I want you to hear the truth. I I, I, I get get it in here. There's people that believe different than I do. That's fine. Theologically, there's so much to to debate and to talk about and discuss in this scripture. We're not all going to agree. We're all going to interpret it different. I, I, I get that. But when it comes down to Jesus is the Son of God, and he's the Savior, the Messiah. That's the bottom line. Don't be distracted from that. And then he closes this one letter. He says, though I have 
many things to write to you. I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send your greetings. He's literally saying, I I want to come to you. I want to speak to you. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you over and over and over again about the truth of God. He wants to literally go from church to church to church and tell them about the love of Jesus. There, we finished the letter. His next letter. He says, the elder, which is John again, to my dear friend Gaius. Oh, he gets, he gets his name mentioned in the Bible for years to come. Whom I love in the truth. What truth is that? Jesus is the Son of God. That's the truth. What's truth? Jesus. You want to know what truth is? Is Jesus. Needs no adjectives. It's the only truth that we have. He says, Whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. When we read that, it could imply that at some point Gaius was not healthy, that there was some illness. And so now all of a sudden he's in good health. It says, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth how you are walking in the truth. It's very clear as he writes this letter that Gaius' entire life was wrapped up in the truth, telling the truth. True living comes from living the truth. Gaius was doing that. He talked the truth and he walked the truth. He lived the truth. He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear my children in walking in truth. It is possible here that John is the one who shared the initial truth with Gaius and actually pointed him to salvation. He's like calling him his child. I look around the room and I look at like doing ministry in here since 1989 in Indianapolis and see uh, my kids, my kids that I had in uh, youth group, my kids, my children people that have come to know the Lord underneath the teaching. I have thousands of kids. I have thousands of kids. And I still minister to them this day. I've got one in Colorado that's got uh, brain cancer. She had surgery on Monday to remove uh, a tumor, and they didn't get it all. And so uh, she's going through radiation for six weeks, five days a week for six weeks. Her name is Betsy. And if you just pray for Betsy, that would be awesome. She loves Jesus. And so when John's writing about Gaius, he's talking about one of his kids that's special to him. He says, Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. In in very practical ways, Gaius has assisted those who were ministering the word. Not only was he ministering the word, but he was actually ministering to people who were delivering the truth and delivering the word. We have no indication that Gaius himself was a preacher or teacher 
that he set on a stage, but he opened his heart and he opened his home to those who were. He literally encouraged others to teach the truth. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers for the truth. <laughs> uh, let, letting strangers into your house, that sounds so unreal today that you would let strangers into your house. But this is what Gaius was doing. If you come to my house and you sit around uh, the Thanksgiving table, you will hear about uh, the Carmel houseman that we ran into at the hockey rink on uh, Friday night. You'll hear about the ketchup man. You'll hear about the Panera guy that came and had Thanksgiving dinner with us. These are all strangers that came to our house. Or actually, Ralph Burke, who we saw at the hockey game Friday night. Many of you in this room will remember Ralph, that eight years ago, uh, his home incomplete, and we had the people and the, and the funds to help Ralph build his home and finish his home. And he's in that home today and saw his kids and everything else, and we were thankful to uh, just run into Ralph. Just a reminder of who A.S. was. There was the ketchup man, some, some man from Florida, and uh, his name was Kevin Andrews, and he was on a flight with me, and we were talking, and he was teaching Sunday school uh, in Florida and loves Jesus and I invited him to my house and so he came from the airport and stayed at my house for a few hours and everybody's looking at me like who is this guy they just remember him because he sold ketchup up in Muncie and so he's known as the ketchup man and there's uh, the Panera guy William Joyner who would always join us at our table he would join us at our table on Tuesday mornings and uh one year we just invited William over to have Thanksgiving lunch with us. He was a cowboy fan. It was a good Thanksgiving. William's with Jesus now. And I was at his funeral. We celebrated life together. And I think about uh, another guy um, that you ministered to is Scott Long who was at my former church but he lives in Ravenswood and he ministers to all the people in Ravenswood and he does funerals and weddings and everything else and so uh, one night we put him on an RV with a bunch of our guys and uh, we laid hands on him and ordained him ordained him to the ministry and he loves it I mean, it it encouraged him just like John is doing to Gaius, mentioning him is to say, Scott Long, you are a minister of the gospel. And he does. He ministers to people. He ministers to the homeless downtown. Scott is a beautiful man. Then John switches gears right here. I wrote something to the church about Diotrephus, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. 
this man, Diotrephus, is accusing John of false and empty charges. Like he's in charge of the church. Let me say this. He's a dictator in the church. He runs the church, this local church. It says, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. The church members who received John's associates were dismissed from the church. All of John's friends that were doing ministry got booted out by this one guy. He neither had the authority nor the biblical basis for eliminating them and throwing these people out of the church, but he did it. So John's a little upset. Granted, he should be. Whenever a church has a resident dictator in its membership, there are bound to be problems. I pray that I am not a dictator in this church. I'm the leader. People say, oh, it's your ministry, whatever. It's not my ministry. I pray if there's any dictator in the room, it's Jesus. That he leads us and guides us. I don't think we've voted on anything in here in the past. It's like the Holy Spirit is grieved when members of the body are are not permitted to exercise their gifts. I mean, you'll you'll I'll have people come up to me all the time and say, "Hey, it'd be a great idea if we do this or do this or do this." And I'm like, "Well, it sounds like the Spirit's leading you. You go do it. Go do it. Go do it. If the Spirit's leading you to minister, why do you have to come through me? I'm I'm not the guy. Just follow the Spirit." He says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. That, that's a harsh statement right there, because he's still talking about the dictator. Everyone who speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself, and we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Demetrius was this man that was worth intimidating because he had this good rapport among the church. Like they all loved Demetrius. All the members knew him. They loved him. They thanked him for God, for his consistent life and ministry. Troy, how many times were you mentioned this morning? It's like you can sit here and name names in this room all you want of people that help people in here happens all the time and this is really what they're saying about Demetrius they loved him and then the last couple of verses he says I have many things to write you but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink he said that in the last letter I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face oh there's going to be a showdown the dictator and John John's coming to town Face to face, it's just like Santa. John had warned that he was going to visit the church and confront Diotrephus, and so there was no doubt that both Gaius and Demetrius would stand in with John side by side and face the dictator. These guys, they're on my side. 
They have all seen what you've done. You either stop or you're out. He chose these two to stand beside him because they would support him in the truth. And they're going to submit themselves to authentic spiritual authority. They followed the truth. What's the truth? Jesus. And he says, peace to you. (laughs) I'm coming to town, but peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. Oh, you know how many times in the last few months I've heard, I I come to Leavener, I don't know half the people there. (laughs) Whose fault is that? Come on, come on. He says, greet the friends by name. Get to know these people. There's some people in here that uh, you need to know. Good people. This is all about community. This is all John's like writing about is like one thing, know the truth, teach the truth. If you know the truth and you teach the truth, watch love happen. Watch it. Doug, you set the whole message up. Watch love happen. It happens every day in this group. Stick to the truth. Father, I pray that we can, um, one, just open your word, these letters, and we can interpret them because of the spirit that resides in us and that you would teach us and then it would just cause us to remain in the truth and to love one another. Let us in this season of Christmas, holidays, look for ways to love even the most unlovable. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.